This is the Mercy Talk podcast. Mercy Talk is brought to you by Mercy Multiplied. We exist to encourage, equip, and empower both men and women with the same biblically-based principles we've seen work for over 35 years in our residential homes. If you want to find out more, head on over to mercymultiplied.com. listeners. We are pumped that you're back with us again for week three. And this week we are diving into the teaching by Debbie Harvey. And if you joined us last week, you got to hear a little sneak preview of what that all was going to contain. But again, just uh, we're so excited for what she's going to share with you guys. Again, this is going to be a lot of her story, um, but how to deal you know, with anger at God and then learning intimacy with the Father through that and actual practical steps to lead you through that process. We also want to let you know that this series or this specific teaching is rather long. So the way it's going to work is you're going to hear the bulk, the whole of Debbie's teaching today. And then next week you will hear the commentary from Mel, myself, and Brooke. So we look forward to hearing you back for that episode as well. So without further delay, here is Debbie Harvey. When I get excited, my accent gets stronger. So if you can't understand me, just wave. Um, because I do tend to get excited quite frequently. Um, you're all just getting used to the British. I can hear you all. Oh my gosh, I love the British! <laughs> and that's cool. We love to be loved, so that's all right. Um, it is always really, really humbling coming back here, especially. Even when I was walking up the stairs there, I said to my sister, Ari, I was like, right here, right here, this spot here, revelation moment, right in this spot, you know. And so there are, I shared some of the revelations when I was uh, here in February, but it is always so special to come back to a place um, where you've really journeyed some things. Um, you know, in, in Ezekiel, God presents, or Ezekiel is presented with a scroll to eat, and he says that it was a scroll filled with words of lament and mourning and woe, and he was commanded to eat it, and you'd expect something with such bitter words to taste bitter to the tongue, but he said it tasted as, as sweet as honey to the lips. And mercy journey is a little bit like that, isn't it, ladies? There is bitterness and there is pain, but there is a honey and a sweetness to the journey. And you never lose that sweetness. It never gets lost. And if you can learn that not all pain causes harm, then actually you're onto something. That there is going to be pain in this journey and it is, it is necessary. Because there is a pain that comes with healing. If you've ever broken a bone or when a, there is a scab that's healing, it itches and it's uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable journey. So don't expect to try and find comfort in anything other than God uh, whilst you're here. But for me, when I walked through those doors in 2001, I did come and I was angry I hated God. I didn't love him. I felt like I had no other option left, and I was resentful of that. It, it marked a return to God. 
and the beginning of a journey, but it wasn't my first time that I'd ever actually had a return to God moment. We have these multiple return to God moments, don't we? And one in particular, I had a return to God moment when I was 15, when I left home because I had, um, we'd moved into an area when I was about, uh, 12. We'd left the church, uh, my parents became bankrupt. We left the church to try and find a job um, for my dad. And we moved into an area that was completely unfamiliar. There was no church, no friends. I'd left school. Everything that was familiar to me, we left behind. And I'd been raised in church. So all I knew was the church world. I was zealous growing up. I was completely zealous. I would memorize the books of the Bible in order to win a Bible. You know, <laughs> I was raised in Sunday school listening to who this was. And, and so when we left all of that, we moved to an area, I had no idea what the world was. And so I was like a lamb to the slaughter. And there was a man in that area who was um, a drug dealer and a pedophile, and he took a liking to me and he groomed me from the age of 12, 13 into a sexual relationship. And I was strung out on drugs and I was a mess by the time I hit 15. I was very broken. But because my parents had been raised in, in the church world, they didn't understand my brokenness. They didn't understand that it was hurt that I had been broken. What they thought was that I was hitting a typical teenage rebellion years. And so I felt so incredibly misunderstood, abandoned, not only by my parents, but also by God, of course. And when I ended up leaving home at 15, I ended up living with Ariana. She took me in. And this was the same time as Mercy was just in its very early days in the UK. Um, I, I decided that I would return to God. And I remember that part of the deal of living with Ariana was that I went to church with Ariana. Oh, what joy. <laughs> and so I was like, well, fine, I'll sit in the back because you know the Lord can't get me there. <laughs> so I sat in the back and I remember watching the people of God and they looked happy, and they would all do this thing like this, and they would jump, they would do the Christian two-step. And I was like, wow, that looks really cool. They look at happy, at least. And I remember there was something attractive about these people, but it felt like they were a million miles away from who I was at that time. But I, I, I had this this attraction to the things of God. And so my return to the Lord looked like me being water baptized. I threw myself right into this, to church life. Um, and I started to do what I saw the Christians doing. They all did the two step. They all raised their hands in worship. And I, so I thought, well, that must be the key to freedom. And so I would do that faithfully, religiously, and yet nothing would change on the inside. I still couldn't sleep. 
I still had flashbacks. I still had coping mechanisms. And it seemed to make things a lot harder and it seemed to confirm to me the lie that I would never measure up, that I would never be good enough to return to God. And when I finally left church and hit the self-destruct button and I got close to death by the age of 17, the only thing left in my life was God. Coping mechanisms hadn't come through for me. People hadn't come through for me. Church hadn't come through for me. And I resented the fact that the only thing left, my only option, was God. Well, I thought he was playing games with me. And so when I did come here, when I did turn up, I was not an easy case, was I, Nancy? No. <laughs> but it was here that I learned some things about a relationship with God. And it's those things that I want to share with you. So you remember how I said that there was an attraction that I felt to the things of God? Can you relate to that? Well, you must all be able to, because otherwise you wouldn't be here. Because there's something that attracted you to God that made you even go through take process. Because, you know, when I was filling out my application, somebody said to me, why aren't you just going to, why not Teen Challenge? Or why not something else? But I knew that it had to be something related to God. Because my issue actually wasn't self-harm, sexual abuse, sexual addiction, drug addiction, and all the other things that I could list, even though they were all presenting issues in my life. My main issue was the fact that the God I had raised to, that, you know, that I had was raised to believe that he was good, that he was my protector, that he was my father and my savior and my shepherd and all of those cool things in the Bible stories. My issue was, well, why weren't you those things to me? It would have been so easy, Lord, for you just let somebody know what was going on in my life. Just one chance encounter of discovering what was going on, all of that pain could have been avoided. So why weren't you those things to me when I needed you to be? So I knew that I needed a place of mercy because I needed to be able to wrestle things through that, that may be in the church, may be taboo issue. And so I learned that just to answer, to respond to someone who is broken, to just say, well, you just need to trust God, can be a really painful thing to hear as a broken person. Because you're like, I did that already. And it didn't seem to come through. It didn't work for me. He didn't come through for me. How can you say you just need to trust him? I don't even know him, let alone trust him. I don't know how to love him. Well, the Lord loves your sister. Well, what do you do for him? Because I don't know how to love him back. Well, you know what? Why don't you just stand on his word? What do you mean stand? Like, do I, do I, 
Do I actually stand on his word? And we get so familiar with church language and, and Christianese that we forget that actually it just sometimes sounds like a bit of a crass answer. And we avoid the, the reality of the situation, which is God in this moment, I love him by the way, God in this moment, you suck for me. Like you did not come through for me. Anger at God is one of the, my most passionate subjects. But I learned that to fall in love with God, which I was so desperate to do. I was so desperate to do. You'll understand this, ladies. You love him, but hate him at the same time. And yet you're so desperate to love him. And we're trying to figure out how, how do we do that? But the truth is, how can we be intimate with someone? And intimacy isn't sex. Intimacy is something deeper. If we can't fall in love with them. How on earth can we love somebody that we don't trust? But how... Can we trust somebody that actually we don't know? What I'm going to teach you in the next, in the part, next part of this session is what are the steps to intimacy with him? How do we get past them? What are the, the sticking points, the hindrances at every stage? And how do we break through those hindrances? So you've heard me say that when I was in church, and my first kind of attempt at returning to God at 15, there was an attraction that I, that I, I saw in the people of God because they looked happy and they looked free. And so what attracted me to God to start with was the possibility of living free. Ask yourselves now, what attracts me to God? What was the hook for you? What made you decide, okay, I'm going to do this? Does anybody know? <laughs> we could make it a bit interactive. You know? Do you want to share a little? I heard bluff. And then I remembered my first people that I ever met that were Christians, and they um, just were really just, like, good friends, yeah. just really persistent with me. So love. Was it the possibility of being loved? And it was the way that they loved you. You were wooed. Yeah. So love. Anybody else? Being free from sin. Okay. So so did you see that in others around you? Your aunt. Very good. Yeah. And so it was the Jesus in her. Okay. So freedom from sin. Any others? Yeah? Not being afraid. Ooh, fearlessness. Not being afraid anymore. Possibility of security. 
Yeah, the possibility of security. These things, go on then. Possibility of a future. Absolutely. That was possibility of future. Possibility of being in love. Being in love. Yeah. Joy. Joy. Oh, that joy, that belly laughter type joy. Yeah. Yeah, the joy that isn't tainted with that sadness just on the edge. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, do you know what attraction means? Write this down if you're taking notes. Attraction is to cause to participate in a venture by offering something of interest. I'll read that again. Cause to participate in a venture by offering something of interest. So the thing that interested me, and like others, was the possibility of something I knew that I needed, that I wanted, that I desired so strongly. And what that attraction did is that it invited me into this venture. And like any venture or adventure, it comes with its highs and its lows. There isn't every good adventure story comes with at least one battle one moment you think everything's gonna uh, be an end. These are the things that make the best stories. But it starts with that one seed of attraction. But there is a tension that we face here. Because if this was the extent of our relationship with God, just attraction, do you know what we end up doing? We struggle to sustain that attraction. We try and find other ways where that need can be filled. Because being attracted to someone isn't enough. I wouldn't have a marriage if I had stayed at the point of just being attracted to that man of God. The truth is we had to go on a venture together. The other thing though that we can struggle with at this point is if we do not move forward to the next stage of relationship, we become very vulnerable to the things of the enemy. For me, when I did come back at 15 and I stayed at this point of being attracted because I didn't actually know how to build relationship with God, which is why keys to freedom is really changing church culture in our country is because people have forgotten discipleship. They've forgotten how to build healthy relationships. Well, if you can't build healthy relationships with a human being who you can see and touch and feel and, you know, hear, it's really hard then to know how to build a relationship with an unseen, if you will, God. And what happened is that I got myself thrown straight into church life that God and church became synonymous, which means the same thing. So if I felt let down by the people of God, I thought that God had let me down. If I'd, um, if I served and served and served and still couldn't find fulfillment, I thought that that was God withholding something from me. Church and God became the same thing. And the more heavily involved I was in church life, then surely, therefore, I am really walking with the Lord. They became the same thing. And I think 
people who come to the Lord and they come into our churches for the first time can get stuck at this point where church and God become the same thing. If what attracted you was the people of God and the joy, I can bet you now that it wasn't long before you found out that that joy seemed to be a little false. It's why we need to get to know God for ourselves. It's the answer isn't getting to know church life. It isn't even getting to know his word. The words, they're just black and white words on a page unless enlightened by the spirit of God. But there has to be an element of us getting to know the spirit of God so that we read his word according to his nature. Otherwise, it's how we get scripture so badly misused in the church today. Getting to know, you know, Psalms 46, verse 10, says, be still and know that I am God. I used to read that and it was like, well, I just need to be still and trust. No, because that word to know, be still and know, the original, the root of that is in Hebrew is yada, Y-A-D-A. And it means this. To become acquainted as with a friend. When God gives us that invitation in the Psalms, be still and know that I am God. He's inviting you to get to know him as a friend. Be still. Remind yourself of what attracted you to me. And come, let us reason together and let's become acquainted as friends. But to do that, we almost have to go on this little journey where we we have to take the risks of learning to recognize the voice of God. Because let's face it, it's not like sitting and having coffee with a friend, is it? I'm just going to give you a really quick um, uh, analogy of how we recognize the voice of God. Okay, Only few people really recognize the audible voice of God. Well... We're all wired differently. We have different learning styles, don't we? So let me ask you a quick question. If you were to recall a phone number, and I don't mean you just pull out your phone and check your contacts, but if you were to actually remember a phone number or remember like Psalm, how do you recall it? Do you, listen to a phone number, do you, do you imagine the numbers in front of you so you almost see it visually? Or do you remind yourself of the, of the sound? Have you memorized the sound of the numbers? Maybe it's the pattern that the numbers make on the phone. You remember the pattern. Oh, it's like a Z shape. And then an L. Do you see it? Do you hear it? Or do you sense it? Because we're wired differently, we all have different learning styles, so we also come to recognize the voice of God differently. Some of us in the room, we see. We may have a seer anointing where we see spiritually, or we see in visions, or we partner our imagination with the Holy Spirit and we go in these cool adventures. Some of you will hear Either the audible voice or like this whisper. It's like this, this voice that isn't necessarily your own, but it might echo sound of your own, but it, it's the one that hangs around 
just has that silver-lined whisper. Some of you sense him. You know when he's near. You know angelic are near. You know when God is ministering because you sense it. Each of us recognize God and recognize his voice in different ways. And it is okay to explore those ways and learn how you recognize him. And it may not just be, you know, the mutually exclusive. Some of us operate in all of those different ways. And as we mature, our discernment sharpens and we begin to recognize the voice of God in all of those different ways. But it is okay that you don't hear an audible voice. One of the reasons why starting to become familiar with how we recognize the voice of God is because when you get to know God, what you begin to receive and enter into is a secret history with him. You know, I, I said that when I arrived and I was walking up the stairs and I said to Ariana, hey, hey, this point, revelation moment. Oh, that grate there, that was my prayer spot down there every morning. You know, uh, that spot about right there is where I got revelation of forgiveness, which changed my life right there. These things I'm telling you have all formed part of my personal history with Jesus. And my personal history has gone on sitting in that library downstairs one Sunday morning and I partnered my imagination, the spirit of God, worship was playing, I was ready for church and I was just in my mind dancing with the Lord, just listening to worship. And Jesus said to me, he said to me, I felt him pressing and I felt his presence even within my imagination. And he entered into the image that I was holding in my mind. And he said, one day we'll do this for real. So I know the day that I die is the day that I will be dancing with my Lord. I have no fear of death. Why? Because I set that time aside. And I allowed myself to be still and to start to become acquainted with him as a friend. And he spoke to me something that has formed part of my personal history with him. So to strengthen this then, we have to do that very thing. Set the time aside and allow ourselves to be acquainted, first of all, with how we recognize the voice of God and allow ourselves to explore that. But then also to stir up our passion for him and what attracted to him to us to him in the first place and allow him to minister and we become friends. Because to be honest, without that, we cannot do this. We can't. And this is the thing with church life at times or with with the, the religion that is Christianity is that we often do this, we go, Whoa! and we try and learn, <laughs> and we try and live this life where we just trust and love him <laughs> without first getting to know him as a friend. And every time the storms of life hit, we end up way back down here again. 
Like, I'm not even sure God's going to come through for me. I don't know if, if I'm ever going to have that need fulfilled in me or that desire met. Do you know what trust means? Trust is a reliance on the integrity, the strength, and the ability of someone. Reliance on the integrity, strength, and ability of someone. I want to show you something about trust and the mechanisms of trust. Ariana, would you come and help me? I'm going to give you some instructions there for you. Okay. Okay, so Ariana and I are going to do a trust exercise, okay? But I'm not just going to ask her to fall straight away. There is a process in trust that I want to show you. Okay, we'll shout. Thank you. Okay. What I want to show you, okay... Because how many times have we seen that trust exercise where it's just like, you just need a trust, you just need a trust, just fall. But there was a process that I wanted to show you there. And it's very important that we understand that because there were three things there that took place. The first thing is that she asked me where I was. We can do that in our relationship with God. When the storm hits... Or when you wake up in the morning and when you go to sleep at night and throughout your day, you can ask the Lord, Lord, will you show me where you are right now in this situation? Will you show me where you are in relation to me right now? God, as, as I'm lining up, at line up, waiting for my lunch, where are you right now, Jesus? What are you doing? But this question really comes into its own when the storm hits or when you're having to revisit the traumas of your life. God, show me. Show me where you were. Show me where you are even now. And as you have been becoming more and more familiar with the way that he speaks to you, give yourself permission to be open to his response. The other thing that took place there was that I'd written on that card a promise. Ariana, I promise I will catch the Ariana bot. I promise I'm going to catch her. And so she read it out. She read out that promise. And then the other thing is I got her to reflect on my character. Three things in the process of trust and the trust exercise we all have to come to in our relationship with God. Presence, promise, personhood. We check his presence. We remind ourselves of his promise. We choose a promise to stand and we remind ourselves of who he is. It makes the fall easier. But then we have to acknowledge that for, if 
most if not all of us, we've had times where our trust has been broken. And our trust ability at times has to heal. It's like, well, I did that before. <laughs> but this is the beauty of forgiveness. This is that when we've had trust that's broken, it's almost like we, our relationships, like we have almost like an invisible elastic band. We can get so far and then we snap back. We get so far and then the opportunity to trust either a, a, a new friendship or uh, a new work relationship or just even in our relationship with God when there's an invitation to go deeper, we snap back. It's like, I can't do that. Forgiveness and even breaking soul ties, which is what you will do in your sessions as well, breaks that band so that you can go further in your trustability without always snapping back. And that usual, that snapping back is because of a trauma. So take that trauma to God. Remind yourself of what attracted you to him. Get to know him and speak to him about that trauma and your counselors are here to help you do that. Ask him, God, where were you in that relationship? When that happened to me, where were you? Remind yourself of his promise and speak to others, hear testimonies of others, of relationships healed and remind yourself of his character and allow yourself to take the risk and begin to trust again. That struggle to trust, did you know, could also cause us to read his word differently. John 14, 15, I love this scripture. It says this, it says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, anybody who's been hurt in relationship, the way that we read that scripture is almost like Jesus is some controlling boyfriend. If you love me, you'd sleep with me. If you love me, you would steal from me. If you really love me, you would do this for me. It's like it's a condition. God is not a God that controls us. He's not a God that speaks to us like that. And you're asking, well, why is it written like that? What does it mean? It means this. When you fall in love with God, you can't help yourself but obey because there is no greater delight. So when you push past that inability to trust and you deal with the trauma, you even see things differently. You see relationship differently. You see him differently. He's not saying, if you love me, you're going to do this for me. He's saying, when you love me, you can't be self. There is no greater joy. As we trust him, and as you are able to keep taking that step forward, what you will find yourself doing, and you will not be able to help yourself, is you will begin to feel this. Sometimes it sneaks up on you. For me in the early days, I'm not kidding you, there were times I couldn't sleep at night because I was literally beginning to fall in love with Jesus. And it was the most frightening, most exhilarating thing ever. 
Um, when I actually graduated and I went home, in my early days, being at home, I used to, I used to, uh, shuffle up on my bed so he could sit down. <laughs> I was besotted. I mean, it was a challenge getting me married because I was quite content. Uh, so the Lord had to do a miracle there. Um, <laughs> and he did. But I began to fall in love with him. But I began to fall in love with him because I'd taken my trauma to him and I'd not quit halfway through, but I stayed with the journey and I pushed through the pain and I pushed through the wrestle until I got an answer or until my questions became irrelevant. And that happened here. Happened on that basketball court, actually. Uh, you're looking at me like, what basketball court? There were fewer cars. <laughs> we had a basketball uh, hoop at the back uh, and I would play basketball. I mean, last time I was here, I played, uh, maybe at the end of this, there's a YouTube clip, maybe we show it whenever, uh, where they've put to video the moment I had out there where I was so mad at God. I was so mad, so mad. And I remember having this basketball and I remember smashing it down, smashing it down, smashing it down. And you know the sound that ball, the ball makes on the concrete? Like that is all I could hear in those moments as I was smashing it down. And at every point that it hit the concrete, something was rising and rising and rising and rising. And out from my mouth came such rage. Such anger that if the Lord had stood in front of me, I'd have sworn for him. I was mad. I was mad. And all those questions that I had, everything of where were you when I needed you? And I, I mean, I stood there. I was like, where were you when you needed you? You're so big and so hard and all singing and all sin. Where are you then? And after I'd let everything out, I said, so what have you got? To say for yourself, oh God most high. <laughs> and God in his mercy answered. And he said to me, I love you. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure I expected to hear anything, but he, what he said to me, he He'd look past everything I just called him, everything I had just said to him, the rage and the hatred with a capital H that I had for him. And he said to me the words that he knew I most needed to hear. Did he answer my questions? Nope. Did the questions become irrelevant? Yep. <laughs> yep. His ways are higher. And me standing here is testimony to that. I doubt I would be doing what I'm doing today if God hadn't redeemed my journey the way that he did. But what it requires of us is that we stay the course. If you want to fall in love with him, you have to wrestle through why you don't trust him. Which means you've got to get to know him. 
You have to bring your questions to him. You have to be okay to be entirely you in his presence and not care anymore of trying to be perfect for him. You've just got to be you and allow him to be him. Stay the course. It's what my tattoo says, kind of. It says, bless the Lord, my rock, who trained my hands for war. You've got to stay the course and fight through and wrestle the way Jacob did. He wrestled through the night. There's a massive challenge, though, when we begin to fall in love with him. Because actually love is a feeling. It's a feeling. Uh, who's got a Bible? So what's Psalm 28, verse 7 to 8? Psalm 28, verse 7 to 8. Um, blessed be God, he hear, He heard me praying. He proved he's on my side. I've thrown my lot in with him. Now I'm jumping for joy and shouting and singing my thanks to him. Jumping for joy and singing my thanks. I love you, Lord. Oh, so in love with you. You heard my cry. You came through for me. And you begin to fall in love. And it's I'm singing. I'm in a store and I'm singing. <laughs> name, name that movie. Elf. Yes. And so there's, there's this feeling that comes, okay? Feelings will not sustain you. They won't. So when the love goes and you cannot be bothered, that's English, isn't it? Cannot be bothered. That's a British thing. I understand. When you, I need to think of a polite way of saying it. Anyway, when you have no inclination to pick up your Bible in the morning because you're tired and haven't had coffee yet, or whatever it might be, the, you cannot rely on the feeling of love to motivate you into the things of God. It's a feeling. And yes, you begin to fall in love with him and it's wonderful and it's marvelous and in that place you, you're developing a personal history with him. But that feeling, uh, it's faith that sustains you. Now the feeling is awesome. But if you don't also do all of these things, and know that your trust is anchored in him, you start to chase this feeling around and you become a conference junkie. You worship experience to worship experience, but you're in and out like a flash because what you're beginning to chase is, yes, you know he's going to come through for you and you've fallen in love with him, but there ain't no high like the most high. So you chase that high around. Every Joyce Meyer conference, you know. <laughs> and there is a place for that. Oh my gosh, of course there is. Of course there is. I love that feeling of being in love with my husband. But when, you know, he does things that irritate me, 
It's not the feeling of love that sustains me. It's my relationship with him. It's all of these things. But there is a tension here for us. Because you will only accept the love that you believe you're worthy to receive. And sometimes the reason we go around chasing this, this God high is because when we feel God high and we become hype, hyper-spiritual, it causes us, it means we don't have to face the fact that we actually don't love ourselves. You find a comfortable way of living in the love of God, but haven't yet faced loving yourself. But there is a challenge because we're not going to get beyond just love and into this intimacy until we walk the same journey with ourselves. You will only accept the love that you believe you're worthy to receive. It's, yeah, I love God. I love God. But can you say you love yourself? If you can't, it's going to stop you from living a life of intimacy. The reason we think intimacy is about sex is because there's nakedness involved. But it's the same feeling, whether it's physically or emotionally, there's nakedness involved in intimacy. But we have to be comfortable in our own skin. And if we're not, then guess what? There's a way we can be. Because actually, what you're talking about is a relationship with yourself. So if these are the steps to intimacy in any relationship, and we agree we have to have a good relationship with ourselves, then we can say, take this same process in relationships with ourselves. So what is it that attracts you to you? And if you don't have an answer, you can do two things. Ask others. Ask God. God, what do you like about me? If you were to liken me to anything in your creation, what would it be? If you can't trust your own sense of self, but you can trust his word, then ask him. It's a really cool question. They're called, we call them at Mercy friendship questions. I don't know if you have those here. So we call them friendship questions. Yeah. If I was any animal, what would I be? Why? Because you know what he's going to say to you is like really cool. And it forms part of your personal history. God, how do you see me in the spirit? What do I look like? You can ask these things because it will give you a different perspective that isn't tainted by your own self-hatred or your own disappointment in yourself or whatever it might be, the filters that we have. And you can then start from here of, okay, God, if you were to liken me to anything in your creation, what would it be? 
And then you start to ask him why. And he starts to show you to yourself in the way that he sees. You're starting to get to know the Christ in you, the God side in you, the, the, the essential you, who you were when he thought you up in his, in when, who you were before he laid the foundations of the universe. That's what he begins to reveal to you. And you can then get to know those things. So if you know, if he says, well, you are like, when I said, God, if I was any kitchen utensil, what would I be? And he told me, <clears throat> a whisk. I was like, a whisk? Why a whisk? Because you stir things up in the spirit. You stir things and you bring ingredients together to make something that sustains. So I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. But what he's telling me is an aspect of my character, of, or my personality rather, because my personality is made up of how I tick, how I'm wired, my strengths, how I see the world. And so as I got accustomed to that, I began to train those things in me, and I sharpened those tools in me, and I began to then trust those skills and strengths in myself. And as I celebrated with the Lord, and as that became part of my personal history, I actually got fall in love with myself. I love who I am. I love who I am. Even though I choke on my own spit sometimes, and trip on chair legs, and can't cook, I love who I am. But that had to take a journey. But do you know what that allowed me to do? It allowed me to trust even more that when God said he loved me, I could accept that in a greater level. And then I began to cross into intimacy. Intimacy isn't a feeling. It's a state it's a state of being. Intimacy actually means a state of being in close association or affection. Well, I would certainly describe myself as being in a state of close association and affection with the Lord. There is a paradox, however, and a paradox, you'll find many para, pa paradoxes in the kingdom because the kingdom tends to be a little upside down and back to front. So for me, moving into intimacy with God, I have to let you know, was really scary because it involves nakedness. And I remember when God invited me into this new level of intimacy with him. I remember it really clearly. Now remember I developed a personal history with him. And I'm, I'm just going to take the pressure off. I don't spend an hour of prayer with the Lord every day. I don't, I just, I don't do it. I don't do it. Um, it's, and the same reason I don't sit and have coffee with my friend for an hour every day. I just don't have the time. However, however, 
And Smith Wigglesworth says this, rarely do I spend an hour in prayer with the Lord, but rarely does an hour go by I don't spend in prayer. Because prayer isn't a religious act. Prayer is a conversation. And because he, he is not like my friend who I have to go and see to spend time with, he abides within my very heart. It means that I can have coffee with him anytime I please. I could be having coffee with the Lord right now and you don't even know it. I am in conversation with God constantly. And I've learned to live my life that way, but it was a process. And it involved all of these things. But I remember this invitation for intimacy because I was actually at a conference and I had been so in love with God and I was learning to love myself. And uh, it was a time where we were really pioneering mercy quite quite strongly. Uh, and I used to see myself as a bit of a warrior for the Lord. So have you seen Lord of the Rings? Yeah. You know when Aragorn pushes those double doors open and he walks into the, 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 the throne room of the king? Do you remember that? It's like, boom, and he walks straight in. That's how I used to see myself with the Lord. You to push the double doors open and go to the throne. Point for duty, my liege. That's how I would see myself. And, and I know at that point, that is who God had called me to be. That is who I was in my growth with him. And that is, and the Lord delighted in that. But I was, I'd learned to live fully armored up. So I used to live my spiritual life, my devotional life, even with the Lord, where I would just be armored up all the time. I would be in like warfare mode all the time. I remember Holy Spirit saying to me one day, I was in, I was in a worship moment. I remember Holy Spirit saying, there's an invitation for you to see the king. I'm like, yes, invitation to see the king. And the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, "Um, it's in the king's chamber. I was like, "Um, okay. And he went, and you're a little overdressed. I mean, I remember I have a personal history with the Lord. So for me at that time, it was what God was doing in my, in the depths of me. And, uh, I remember when Holy Spirit said that to me, I knew that I, in partnering my imagination with Holy Spirit, that I would have to go through a process of removing my armor. Because even who I was in God, I'd become so accustomed to being in pioneer mode and so accustomed to warfare that it had actually become a part of my identity that I was strong, that I was capable and able and fearless. And it had become what God had done in my life and had become fruit started to become identity. So when I had to start removing these pieces of armor and I knew that I would need to present myself at the king's chamber and not the throne room. Remember, I'm if you can't already tell, I'm visual. So all my relationship with God happens very visual. Um, and so I remember being at the threshold of the king's chamber in my imagination, partnered with Holy Spirit. I remember having to choose to take that step over, but I, I remember having to consciously remove every piece of armor to do that. And I was afraid because removing clothing 
And being in her bedroom was frightening for me. It was frightening for me. And I had all my old body memories coming up and old trauma coming up. And, and I was shaking in the presence of God. And I remember going through the same process, presence, promise, personhood. Because it was an invitation to go deeper. And I remember having to take the risk. And I removed the armor. And the moment I took a step over the threshold into his chamber, instantly I felt Holy Spirit put a robe over me. He put a robe of righteousness over me and covered me. And I had to learn and I realized, which I hadn't realized before, that my purpose in God had become my identity. And I had to undo that. But I also realized that there was another level of healing that I was still to go on to deepen my revelation of who God is and continue to heal from trauma. Now, does that mean I wasn't healed when I left? No, I was. But healing, ladies, healing comes in layers. Write it down, underline it. In layers. When I left here, the, my revelation of God was that He was, in fact, good. And He was, in fact, there for me the whole time. My revelation through the early years of mercy was that God is my, my fortress. He is my strength and He is my shield. And I am His soldier, or I was at that time. But when he invited me into another level of healing, I realized that there was yet another facet of God he wanted me to know. I needed to come, or or not needed to, there was an invitation for me to come to know him as entirely safe. As safe. No matter the dangers he would send me into, and whatever my life holds, he is secure. I am secure in him. But it had to, I had to go through another layer of healing. So yes, I had to go into counseling for a while and deal with more of the trauma debts. But as I did that, I encountered the comfort of God that I've never encountered my whole life before. Healing comes in layers and each layer becomes another foundation and another building block for your destiny in him. Does that make sense? Because here is the fact. Intimacy is this. It's into me you see. And there are going to be facets of your heart that you are comfortable the Lord seeing. And there's going to be facets of your heart that you're not. I didn't like, and I was uncomfortable being naked, if you will, before God. I wasn't sure that I wanted him to see me. And that is okay. Why? Because I say it again, healing is in layers. We 
like God, are multifaceted. And so there are going to be times you experience and encounter new facets of God and new facets of yourself and new facets of healing. But that is relationship. It's relationship. Psalm 139, it says, search me and know me. Search me and know me. Did you know that same word, know, is the same as in the Psalms? To become acquainted with as a friend. So not only is God saying to us in the Psalms, be still and know, come, be acquainted with me. Our response back to him is, God, search me and know my heart. You also come search me. You also come and be acquainted to my heart, my whole heart as a friend. And so I wanted to break this down for you today because is I want you to know that no event here is going to set you free. It's going to be a process. And I'm also going to tell you that the process isn't a six-month one. You will not leave here perfect, but you will leave here equipped. That's why you're here. Because I was telling you now, a relationship that doesn't constantly grow and develop becomes really boring. And it's the same with God. And He is without limit, which means the depth and the growth in your relationship with Him is also without limit. But it will be for eternity. So take the pressure off. Find yourself in this process strengthen the stage you're on, whether you need to remind yourself of your salvation moment and what attracted you to him, or you need to start to speak to him like a friend, or you need to take the risk and trust and remind yourself of who he is and where he is, or you're enjoying the moment of falling in love with him. Or you're in that place, that most holy place, where you're learning to be intimate, and reveal all. This will come back around time and time again, and that's okay. If you find yourself having to deal with things again, you are not at square one. There is no square one. Ariana and I were talking about this this morning. The, our lives is like a mountain, is what we said, didn't we? It's like a mountain. The landscape looks the same, no matter which spiral you're going on looks the same. So when you hit another rocky place again, don't think that you're back where you started. No, the landscape of your life is the same. You're still, it's the same memories, the same life, it's the same mountain. It's just a different viewpoint. It's a different height that you're going to. We're so glad you joined us today. We'd love for you to head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. You can also find previous episodes there. Mercy Multiplied is a non-profit organization completely funded by our donors. We're incredibly grateful and couldn't do what we do without them. If you want to find out more how you can partner with us financially, head over to mercymultiplied.com.